from macabre tales of killer clowns, monsters, or alternate universes, there is nothing better than sitting by the fireside or being tucked up warm in bed and listening to a spine-chilling story. Whether it's a creepypasta internet legend or a story written over 150 years ago, here we'll be telling five scary tales to freak you out. Anora Petrova Annie was born in Portland, Oregon to Nancy and Mikhail. She began ice skating at the age of six. At age 10, she started to take figure skating lessons and was competing and winning competitions at the Crystal Classics by the age of 13. After that, she was coached by the renowned Olympic figure skater, Sergei Porokiev. On the night before her first major championship, she was anxious and looking for a way to relax and steady her nerves. So she decided to spend some time surfing the net. Out of curiosity, Annie googled herself and came across her own Wikipedia page, which stated that she would win the next day's Crystal Classic. She supposed that either someone at her training club, or possibly her father, had made the page in order to inspire her. She asked her father, but he denied all knowledge of it, as did all of her team members. The next day, to her delight, Anne did in fact come first as predicted. Now, every time Anne was competing, she would always check her wiki page the night before. It came a ritual for her, and every time the page forecast her wins correctly. At the height of her fitness, she was desperate to qualify for the Olympics. This is when she thought that she might be able to influence her chances. At the sectionals, by doctoring her Wikipedia page, she went online and updated the page with the declaration, Anora won the Olympics. But when she later went back to check the page, it was actually displaying the statement, Anora Petrova is selfish, who is going to get what she deserves. It was then that Anora's life started to unravel. Her fiercest competitor was Bree. During the trials, Bree's blade snapped, flew off, and sliced Anora's forehead. Although Annie was injured, she was blamed for the incident, as she had access to Bree's skates before the competition. Although Annie denied the accusation, she was banned from competing. Sergi also suffered from guilt by association, and he quit training Annie as a consequence of this. It was whispered among people that Anora had got what she deserved. Annie got in touch with Wikipedia in the hopes of having the page taken down, but they were unable to find it. As time went on, the page continued to post nasty things about Annie with horrible predictions about her life, until one day it said that Anora Petrova is a pathetic little orphan. Horrified, Annie tried to call her parents and warn them to be careful, but every time she did, there was just horrible laughter coming through the phone. A few days later, her parents were killed in a car accident. Annie went to Switzerland and became a recluse, refusing to check the page anymore. She began to get her life back together and started skating again. She was even able to get an audition for the ice circus. The night before her triad, while staying at a hotel room in Prague, she made the mistake of checking her Wikipedia page once more. It said Anora Petrova died friendless and alone on the day before her ice circus audition. Anora Petrova was found dead, sitting at her computer in a hotel room in Prague. Kisaragi Station This Japanese story began with a posting on a 2chan forum about strange occurrences it played out in real time, with the conversation going back and forth between a girl named Asumi and several other 2chan users. Asumi said that she had been travelling on a train for quite a while now, and felt that there was something wrong. 
She was told to proceed with her story, and she continued her tale, asking for help along the way. She said she always took the same train to work every day, on a journey that took no longer than 8 minutes. The train had been travelling for 20 minutes without stopping, so she was worried, and the other 5 passengers aboard were asleep. She asked if it's maybe an express or high speed train, and was told to find the conductor. Hasumi said that the blind was down at the driver's cabin, so she couldn't see if anyone was inside. She had also knocked, but there was no answer. Hasumi was asked if she could look out of the window to see if the train was passing any stations. She replied that they had gone through a tunnel, but that there weren't any tunnels on her normal route. Then she said that the train had stopped at a station named Kisaragi. One 2chan user told her to get off and check the station out, whilst another told her to stay on board and carry on to the final stop. Hasumi chose to get off the train, but found it unmanned. A 2chan user said he had researched the name on the net, but couldn't find any information on a Kisaragi station, except that the word could also be translated as demon, and one of the 2chan posters found this terrifying. Hasumi was unable to find any timetable, and thought it best to get back on the train, but it suddenly left without her. She was advised to either call the police or a taxi company, but Hasumi replied that she had phoned her parents to come and pick her up, but they had no idea where Kisaragi station was, and she admitted that she was becoming scared. It was recommended that she walk along the track to the next station, and was asked if she could see any buildings. Hasumi said it was all just fields and mountains, and that she was going to push on back along the track. The two Chan posters began to argue amongst themselves online. One thought that she should stay at the station and wait for another train to come along, or wait until daylight. Another, that she should go along the track and look for another station, but be careful not to use all of her phone battery. Hasumi began walking and rang her parents again. They told her to call the police, which she did, but the authorities thought it was some sort of prank. She said that she could hear a drum beating and a bell ringing somewhere off in the distance. She was advised by one of the two Chan posters to go back to the station, but said she was too scared to turn around. Run, she was told by a 2chan user, and don't look back. Then she heard a voice shout out to her, Don't walk on the track, it's dangerous. Hasumi turned to see an old man with one leg, and admitted that she was too frightened to move, and the man just disappeared. Now the drumming was getting nearer, Hasumi fell over and broke her heel. She said her parents had rung police for her, but the noise was getting louder. She finally reached a tunnel, and was plucking up the courage to walk through it. On exiting at the other side, she saw an old man standing there, and although the two Chan posters were worried for her safety, Asumi told them that the person had in fact turned out to be quite nice, and was taking her to the nearest station. The two Chan community were suspicious of the man. What was he doing there alone at that time of night? In the car, Asumi reported that the man had stopped talking to her, and they were travelling closer to the mountains. She was warned by someone on the forum to call the police. She said that the man had begun to mutter something unintelligible under his breath, and things were starting to look strange, and her battery was about to die. She said she would try to run as soon as she got the opportunity, but Asumi was never heard from again. The Expressionless During the summer of the early 1970s, a woman appeared at the Cedar Sinai Hospital. She was wearing just a white gown, but it was covered in blood. The problem was that she didn't even look human, her body was frozen like that of a mannequin, yet she had the movements of a human being. Her face was also unmoving, 
but it was daubed with makeup, and she had no eyebrows. What made the scene completely horrific was the kitten that she had fastened tightly between her teeth. Blood was spurting from the poor creature and running down the front of the gown and onto the floor. The woman pulled the kitten from her mouth, threw it to one side, and then passed out on the hospital floor. As she was taken to be cleaned up, the woman stayed very relaxed and still. In fact, she was so motionless that staff were unable to get any response from her at all, and most of them found it too difficult to even look at the woman's face. As soon as they tried to sedate her, the woman became extremely violent and had an unnatural strength. It took two doctors to hold her down. All the while, her face bore that same expressionless look. Suddenly, she turned her head towards the male doctor and smiled. As she did that, the nurse screamed in shock and let go. The woman's mouth was full of long, sharp spikes, so long that she could not have been able to close her mouth. Astonished, the male doctor could only stare before asking what she was. The woman continued to smile as she twisted her neck down onto her shoulder watching him. Then she lunged forward and after sinking her teeth into the doctor's neck, she ripped out his throat and watched as he collapsed to the floor. She then leaned over to him and whispered that she was God. After this, she stepped over him and began to feast on the staff members one by one. She's not been seen since, and the only known survivor to the incident was a nurse who named the woman the Expressionless. The Mask of the Red Death There is a plague known as the Red Death that is rampant throughout the land. The symptoms of this disease are horrific. Sharp pains and dizziness are followed by blood profusely bleeding from the pores. From the onset of infection, victims are dead within half an hour. Meanwhile, Prince Prospero summons 1,000 of his most favoured nobles to take refuge with him behind the walls of his castle like Abbey. Completely unconcerned about the suffering of the people outside, they intend to wait out the epidemic in luxury. Prospero seals the iron gates of the Abbey closed so that no one can get out or in. After several months, the prince decides to hold a decadent masquerade ball. Having a love of all things strange, he decides to use a bizarre form of decoration for the dance. The ball is held in a series of seven differently colored rooms, which can only be viewed one at a time. Each room has a colored stained glass gothic window, where candles and braziers shine through as illumination. The first room is blue, the second purple, the third green, the fourth orange, the fifth white, and the sixth violet. The seventh room is covered in black tapestries, but the glass panes are blood red, making the room so horrific that no one dares to enter it. In this room, there is also a huge ebony clock with a giant pendulum. Every time it struck the hour, the sound boomed through the abbey, causing the musicians to cease playing and the revelers to stop dancing. The guests were also required to dress in outlandish and extravagant costumes. As the clock strikes the hour of midnight, a figure emerges through the crowd. It seemed that no one had noticed him before, dressed in a blood-splattered funeral shroud. His mask looks like that of a corpse, and the partygoers are afraid because he looks like a victim of the Red Death. Prospero is so enraged that someone would dare to come to his ball dressed in such a way that he tells his guests to stop the man, but they are too afraid and refuse to touch the figure. Prince Pospero goes after him with a dagger and finally challenges him in the seventh room. As the figure turns to face the prince, Prospero lets out a shriek and falls down dead. Now incensed at the death of their prince, the revelers rush into the black and red room and grab the figure who is standing unmoving in the shadow of the huge clock. 
they were horrified to find that there was no one beneath the costume. Only then do they realize that they are in the presence of the Red Death itself. Then one by one, all of the people in the Abbey die, victims of the disease. If you can find a book called The Tale of Roly-Poly, don't open it and do not read it. We had moved into the new neighborhood about a month before. Guinea, my daughter, was still only young, just six and always eager for a bedtime story. But I'd never seen the book that she chose that night. She pulled it down from the shelf herself. There was nothing exceptional about the cover of the book, just a simple red fabric jacket, embossed with the gold lettering, The Tale of Roly-Poly. It seemed very different from the usual Disney princess fairy tales, so I questioned her choice. She was adamant that she wanted this particular story though, so I began to read. There were two little boys, two children like you. One was called Jack, the other was Hugh. The boys sat in their room, for there was nothing to do. They were so bored, a common bugaboo. The book was illustrated simply with a drawing of the two boys, sitting in their baseball-themed bedroom. They thought and they thought, they huffed and they puffed until Hugh said few, enough is enough. Let's play a game, we'll upend this loose end. I know, said Jack, I'll call on my friend. Jack took the book and said the words written down. Come out, come out, you silly old clown. With a whoosh, a fizzle and a pop, Roly-Poly arrived with a great big plot. Now the illustration showed a figure dressed in a traditional clown's costume with a white painted face and lurid red lips looming over the two boys. The rhyming story continued on telling the tale of how Roly-Poly, the clown, asked the children to go with him to his room in topsy-turvy land where they would never be bored. The boys took his hand and arrived at his home, which was a wonderful place filled with sweeties and chocolate. There were no rules, no homework or responsibilities, and the three friends just played together all day. Until one day, Roly-Poly complained that he was sad because he was very hungry. The boys tried to help by offering him lots of treats, but the clown could not be satisfied. On turning over the next page, the reader was horrified and quickly closed the book. Although Ginny wanted them to go on, they refused after settling her down, they tiptoed from the room. Downstairs, they continued the story alone. The next illustration showed the clown holding one of the children up in the air so that he could bite a big chunk out of him. There were chunks of flesh and bone and blood. It was a horrific sight. It seemed that Roly-Poly could only be satisfied with the flesh of little boys. Then the clown began to chase after the other boy, Jack, who he finally caught, stating, You're tougher than most, you I will cook. And he hung the boy up on an old meat hook. The drawing showed Roly-Poly roasting the boy alive while he waved happily to the reader, and grinned showing his two rows of sharp pointed teeth. It was disgusting, and they threw the book away into the refuse bin. The next morning, they noticed that the front page of the paper carried a story about it being the fifth anniversary of the disappearance of two local boys. They were aged eight and six and had vanished from their home in January of 2012. Their names were Hugh and Jack. They immediately ran to the bin to get the book so that they could give it to the police, but it was gone. In a panic, they ran to Ginny's room only to find a note on the top of her bed, which read, Ginny picked a good book, a true tale to excite but Dad did not like it, he thought it was trite. He stopped the story at the moment of glory. Oh no, not for you, this bit is unfit. Roly-Poly didn't like that, not one bit. So the clown came to Ginny, who was ever so skinny, and said, let's have some fun, let's show that old ninny. 
and now Ginny plays in a land tipsy-turvy, full of sugar and spice and all things that are girly. The princess holds court in dresses of satin, and the clown simply smiles, she'll do it, she'll fatten. Ginny has been missing for over a week now. The father took the note to the police, but they are as confused as we are. He can't eat or sleep, and wants to warn everyone that if you find the book, do not read it, do not even open it, and please call the police before another child goes missing. So that's it for the five creepy short stories. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you right back here tomorrow for another scary video.